Good evening. My apologies to some of you if during communion, the communion glass that you had, if the grape juice had started to ferment. Apparently for some folks that had happened. I apologise and we will pray for you. I don't know. <laughs> Fix it somehow. Uh, we're continuing our series on and concluding tonight this series on uh, shape, that God has shaped us in order to serve him. Uh, that God is a sovereign God who is at work in our world and specifically in our lives. This passage reminds us uh, that as followers of the Lord Jesus, we have been called by him to live a life worthy of the calling um, that we have received, the life that he has given to us. And that has a horizontal dimension. There are ways that we are to respond to one another, be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another, speaking the truth in love to each other. But it also has a vertical dimension, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, and so on, one God and Father of all. And it's the sovereign Lord Jesus who this passage says to us, but in verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Each one of us. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, then you have received his grace, his gifts, his empowerment in your life. And there's a purpose for that, which it goes on in this passage to demonstrate, to amplify. In verse 12, it's to prepare God's people for works of service in order that the church might grow, that it might be built up, that it might be strengthened. How long does this last for? Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. God's intention, Jesus' intention, the work of the Spirit of God in our lives will continue until we become mature in Him, which is a lifelong endeavour, attaining to the measure of the complete fullness of Christ, becoming Christ-like in our attitudes and in our behaviours. The passage goes on to say, but in this fallen, broken world, there is also opposition. Uh, he talks about growing from being infants to being mature and not being tossed about by every wind of doctrine, but rather we are to speak the truth in love. Not just speak the truth, but to do so with an attitude of love, of wanting to both glorify God but also do good for the other person, to speak the truth in love. We are, all of us together, to grow up into him, and so then the body is built up as each part does its work. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, called by him to live this new life, gifted by him to serve, then you have a role to play, a place to fill, a function to perform. That's what the New Testament teaches. And if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus in name only, uh, yes, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, I confess his Lord, I have communion, I come to church, I sit in the chair, but I don't do anything else, then you are falling way short of what God expects of you, what God intends for you. You have been saved to serve. God has a function and a purpose for you. That's what we've been talking about. God made you, God made us, put us here, he has shaped us to love and to serve him and others. We're not just here to mark things off our bucket list, but we're here to honour him and to serve others. And the acrostic we've been using is Rick Warren's acrostic of shape, S-H-A-P-E. 
The S stands for spiritual gifts. As followers of the Lord Jesus, you've each been given at least one spiritual gift, and most of us, in fact, haven't been given one. We've been given a cluster of gifts, more than one. And we need to go through the process of discovering what they are, learning about them, developing them, and then using them to glorify him, but also to serve others and to grow the church. God has shaped your heart, your own interests, your passions, your likes. There are things that you are interested in. Well, God has shaped you that way and he's given you abilities natural talents we have hundreds of abilities that we are to take and to surrender to him and to use for his glory tonight we're going to conclude this by talking about personality and by experience and before we jump into that i'm going to ask you to bow with me and to pray let's pray heavenly father again we want to thank you that we have the opportunity to be able to come together to worship you together through song through giving through quiet reflection, through communion, through listening to your word read and taught and through making our own responses to you. Lord, thank you for this gift and we pray tonight that you would be pleased to meet with us, to speak truth into each of our lives, that indeed you might help us to understand our shape, that we might fulfill your purpose and intention for each of our lives and that we would find increasing joy and satisfaction in following the Lord Jesus. May he be glorified. May his will be done. And we pray in his name. Amen. Personality and experience, what we're going to talk about tonight, rather quickly. Personality, we've all got one, and we're all different. And God is the one who shapes all these different sorts of personalities. Um, Think about it. Which personality does God use the most to serve him? Answer? All of them. You don't have to be outward. You don't have to be loud. You can be quiet. You can be reserved. You can be who you are. And you will find not only biblical examples, but you'll find examples throughout history. God uses all sorts of people and he uses all sorts of personalities. There are no or right, wrong temperaments. God made them all. And he can use them for ministry. There have been many attempts by people to understand this, to categorise it, and they use all different sorts of things, whether it's Myers-Briggs or DISC, or you may have done personality tests from psychologists or psychiatrists. There are animal names. You might be a beaver or an otter or a retriever or a lion. If you haven't done it, that won't make any sense to you at all. If you read anything on personalities, then you might be sanguine, you might be a choleric, you might be melancholy, you might be phlegmatic. And these means might be completely meaningless to you. And not that that's important, but you're either as a person task-orientated or people-oriented. Or you're maybe a combination of both. You might be an introvert, you might be an extrovert. And most people misunderstand those words. We tend to think introvert means a person who is quite shy and retiring, and an extrovert is a person who is loud and out there. But in fact, an introvert is a person who, when their energy levels are depleted and down, an introvert is a person who needs not people contact, but they need to be left alone to re-energise. There are other people, and I'm an introvert. When I get really tired and drained and stressed, I need to be alone. I don't want to engage, I just want to be left alone and to re-energise. You might be like that. You might be the opposite. Some people, in order to get re-energised, they need people around them. 
When they're tired and drained and stressed, they're making phone calls, they're having a party and they're calling people over because they need other people to have input into their life. We're just different. And God has made us that way. And what's important for us is to discover and to learn more about, well, how has God made us? God gave you your unique personality for his own glory. And God wants you to be you. And understanding your personality will help you to express your gifts, your heart, your abilities, and what will free you up, that you can embrace who you are and not be forced into the mould of trying to be somebody else. There are two key significant questions just for tonight as we go through this. Um, how do you relate to others? We'll talk about that. And how do you respond to opportunities or to work situations? How do you like to work? And we're different. God's wired us differently. Some of us are talkers, some of us are feelers, some of us are thinkers, and some of us are doers. Most of us, all of us, in fact, have a combination of all four of those. But some, one particularly, will be stronger than the others. For instance, on the issue of relating to others, if you walk into a room and the room's full of strangers, what's your reaction? What's your response? It's an opportunity to meet and mingle, to engage, meet lots of people. You're energised by that? That's what you want to do? Or do you want to go to a corner and hide and maybe meet with one person and have a deeper one-on-one -on -one conversation with them? Which one are you? See, we're all different. We're one or the other or even a combination. I'm a bit of a combination of those. Depends on my mood. If I'm energised, then I might want to work the room. If I'm not, I might want to be left alone. Understanding who you are helps you uh, find your place of service and expressing your gifts and abilities and so on. Are you outgoing, energised by people, or more reserved, prefer to be alone? Are you self-expressive, open, verbal, willing to share your thoughts and your opinions and confident in doing that? Or are you more self-controlled, keep your thoughts and opinions to yourself? Um, you need to build trust with people before you share openly or vulnerably with them. Or you could be a combination of those sorts of things. You could be outgoing and self-controlled, an outgoing person who keeps their thoughts to themselves. Are you cooperative or competitive? Do you like to work in a team or do you like to work primarily by yourself? So how you respond to others is how a clue to how God has shaped you and where God wants to use you in service. This does not negate any of the New Testament commands or instructions in terms of our attitudes of love towards one another, but it helps us become comfortable in our own skin of those places where we are to serve him. Secondly, what about responding to opportunities as they come along? Do you like high risk, high change, lots of challenge? Or do you like to avoid those things? Do you like things to be controlled and staying within your comfort zone? Are you people-oriented or are you process, project-oriented? Do you like to follow someone or do you like to take the lead on things? Do you like to work with a team or do you like to work alone? Do you like things to be routine or do you live for variety? We need to be true to who God has made us to be. And the truth, I think, of the matter is that when we become followers of the Lord Jesus, when we are converted to him, he doesn't change our personality personality that he gave you is the personality you will, he, you will have for your life. 
Your personality will impact your decisions and how you deal with change, how you deal with problems and solve conflict, how you express your feelings. Your personality is at the very core of who you are. God made you with your personality and he made you to be different. He obviously loves variety. And not that we are overly fond of all personalities, but God certainly wants you to be you. He wants you to be the new you, the Christ-like you, but he wants you to be you. That'll do for personality. Let's move on. Experience. This is the end, and this is where I want to spend a little bit more time tonight. Our experiences is what God has exposed us to. He's given us a shape, spiritual gifts, a heart. He's given us abilities. He's given us a certain type of personality, and he uses all of that in his service and honour and glory, and he has been exposing us to experiences as we have been growing up. And the truth is, God wants to use all of your experiences that you've had so far in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the difficult. He wants to use all of that for your own growth and for his glory. Here is a very famous verse, Romans 8, verse 28. Um, it's a famous verse, well-known verse, and it's often a misused verse. And it simply says to us, Laurel, if you want to bring that up, Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, God is at work. God is working for the good of those who love him and for those who are called according to his purposes. There's a brilliant point for you. <laughs> Go through that very carefully. We know. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that all things work out the way we want them to. It doesn't say all things will end well, that everything has a happy ending. It doesn't say that, not on earth. This is a fallen, broken place. Bad things happen. It doesn't say we guess, we hope, we wish, we pray, we desire. It says we know. There's a certainty. We know that in all things... What does the word all include? Everything. Does it include our accidents? Yes. Does it include mistakes? Yes. Dumb decisions? Other people's dumb decisions? Yes. Does it include our failures and their failures? Yes. What about sin? Does it include that? Yes. We know that in all things, in all situations, in all circumstances of life, all whether it's divorce, whether it's unemployment, whether it's bankruptcy, whether it's cancer, whatever it is. In all things, God is at work. The passage says that God is working. It's, he makes it part of his plan. It doesn't certainly mean that God just does uh, the good things. It says that God is going to use all things. There's a lot of bad in this world, certainly evil. And God is not the author of evil. But God responds. He knows what's happening and he responds to it. He's the master chess player who can respond to the sinful and bad choices that we make and that others make that can affect us. He doesn't force us to do the right and he allows us to choose to do the wrong. Even these things are included in his sovereign plan. We know that in all things, God is working for the good. 
He's working to include these things in the ultimate development of his kingdom outcomes. He is at work, allowing things to happen, causing things to happen, responding to those things that do happen. He's setting up situations, he's opening doors and he's closing doors. He is at work in our life and through us. He is the grand designer behind all of the things that are going on. There is no karma, there is no fate, there is no luck. There are choices, responsible choices that we make and there is a sovereign God who is at work. To what end? For good. Even in the bad things, God is at work. He loves to bring good out of bad things. He loves to bring resurrection out of crucifixion. He takes us and others' mistakes and he uses them to advance his kingdom purposes. This is not for everyone because the verse goes on to say, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's not a promise for everybody in the world. If you turn your back on God, if you walk away from God, if you're ignoring God, if you're denying the creator the right to rule in your life, ignoring his purposes for you, then he may very well allow circumstances to work for bad, to bring about conviction in your life and ultimate judgment. This verse is written for those who are lovers of God. He uses the tests in our life for those of us who are following the Lord Jesus to give us a testimony. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this verse I'll refer to a couple of times tonight. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. God allows us to go through trouble and he comforts us in us, in order that we can then be a comfort to others who are going through that same trouble that we have been through. That's what the verse is saying. That God, the sovereign God, is working through circumstances, life's test, takes the messes in our life and uses it in order for us to have a ministry to others. He allows things to happen to us, to equip us and to prepare us in order that we can be his servant to be used in other situations and vice versa. He uses other people to speak truth into our lives when we're going through messy things. He's at work, working things out through our shapes. It's a mystery and it's a miracle, but he does it. I told you before, we... Um, this is the example, I, I don't know why, but I always just automatically think of this. There are many other examples. I should try and think of those maybe another night. Uh, we had a third daughter and she didn't live very long. And there was one particular lady who was in an, another church, a small church where I was the pastor, and she was very cranky and she was very angry at God. And I went to visit her. <clears throat> and in the process of visiting with her, she didn't have much time for me because I had no idea what it's like to lose a child. To which I then said to her, well, you're wrong. I do. And she changed immediately. The barriers sort of came down and I was able to share with her and to speak with her. This situation, exactly what Paul says in Corinthians, that I had been through a situation, God had taught me some things and shaped me on some things and I was able to share what I had learnt with her. That's what God's doing in us and through us. I love to cook 
increasingly. I'm not a great cook, although everything that I make is outstanding. <coughs> I don't make a lot of things. One of the things I do make are pancakes. I call them pancakes. My kids like them. My wife likes them. I don't know anybody who doesn't like them. I'm going to share with you my recipe. My kids want my recipe. I think I've given it to them. There are some things that I cook that I haven't given the recipe to. It's part of their inheritance. When you take the individual ingredients to make pancakes, when you taste them, eat them individually, except for one thing out of about the five, they taste awful. But when you put them together and mix them up, if they're my pancakes, then they taste yummy. This is my recipe. One cup of flour. It's on the tape. You'll get it. It's on the web. You'll be fine. You don't need to write it down. Self-raising or plain? Self-raising is better. One egg. 600 to 700 grams. One cup of milk. Full cream or light? Light. Hmm? One, one, one. One cup of flour, one egg, one cup of milk. It's a dummy-proof recipe for making brilliant pancakes. You put that in a pan, 20-centimetre pan. You need heat to apply to it. You need maple syrup, Canadian or cotties. We prefer Canadian. And you need... Um, heat to be applied to it and butter not margarine but butter you try that now you have the flour by itself yuck you eat the egg by itself yuck you drink the milk well that's okay <laughs> you try the maple syrup by itself yuck it's way too sweet butter by itself individually all these things are not nice but strangely, miraculously, you take them, you put them together, you mix them up, and you put it in the pan, and it turns out magnificently. That's like what God does with our life. He allows unsavory things, tasteless things, awful things to happen, and he mixes them with some good things, and he makes a productive life or a productive experience. I think that illustrates. Now, what does God want us to do with these experiences he's a pro at doing this transforming our lives and god doesn't want to waste any of your experiences all of the things that you have experienced god can use for him two things you need to do you need to own them that's the first thing stop running from them stop denying them stop suppressing them the good the bad and the ugly god can use them but in order to use them, you've got to be able to, be, to own them, to be able to talk about them, to be able to share them. That's why we need to stop denying and suppressing these things and to bring them and make them available for God to use, making ourselves more vulnerable, I guess. Every experience in our relationships, education, spiritual experiences, our vocational experiences, and especially our painful experiences, all of them, own them, Face them, accept them, acknowledge them, and offer them to him, for him to use you. God is doing that now, probably through your life, and you may not 
have analysed it or articulated it that way, but God will use you in circumstances where you just think it's just you being you. But God has shaped you and prepared you and gifted you in order for you to speak truth into somebody else's life and to assist them to be able to pass it on. That's exactly what happened in Joseph's life. And for us, sometimes it's only in looking back that we get to understand that, gee, this is how God has made me. This is how God has shaped me. This is what God was doing. That's certainly true for Joseph. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he makes the comment uh, to his brothers, you intended to do bad things for me. You intended to harm me. But I now realize that God intended it for good. Now, God allowed you to make those sinful choices that hurt me, but eventually God used that to put me in a situation where I could be an influence for him. Second thing you need to do is not only own and acknowledge your experiences, but you need to use your experiences to help others. You need to be actually communicating them to others. God can certainly use every experience. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, the Apostle Paul's perspective, his worldview is that what has happened to me has actually helped to progress the gospel. He's in a bad situation. He's in jail. And he's writing to the Philippians who are a little bit discouraged. And he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually helped to progress the gospel. And if you look back over, well, what had happened to him, then you realise that lots of bad things had happened to him. He'd been arrested in Jerusalem, he'd been beaten, he'd been on a ship, he'd been in a shipwreck, got a, uh, on the island of Malta where he got bitten by a snake. Well, snake wrapped itself around him. He ends up in prison, in a dungeon, changed to a Roman guard. And his whole life perspective, instead of preaching the gospel out there, is now limited. But God was at work. God was working in the circumstance and situation of his life. And Paul came to realise that even there, I mean, you imagine it. You imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul. He would pray out loud throughout the day. He would quote scripture. And before very long, the Roman guards were becoming Christians. He was influencing them, Philippians chapter 4. He talks about the whole Praetorian guard uh, coming under the influence of the gospel. And Paul writes to the Philippians and says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually helped to advance the gospel. God knows what he's doing. Whatever the situation you find yourself in life, that's the perspective to have. Own your experiences and submit them to God. Make yourself his servant. So how does God want us to use our experiences? Well, these three ways, very quickly. He wants you to share your experiences and the lessons you have learned in order to help and comfort others. Spoken a little bit about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. God blesses us in order to be a blessing to others. God puts us in difficulties in order that we can be a help to others, to direct them in some course. God helps us so that we can help others. God is at work. He never wastes an experience. He never wastes a hurt. doesn't matter what it is. Second thing we can do is not simply share our experiences and the lessons that we have learned in order to help and comfort others, but we are to speak truth into the lives of others to either motivate them, encourage them, or even perhaps to correct them. You've had an experience, and you will be able to speak truth into the life of another in a way that somebody who hasn't had the experience can't and that God will use you under those circumstances. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Just to illustrate, I can remember when I was, uh, Rhonda and I were just brand new parents, 
and you have your very first child and you feel scared, you feel incompetent, you feel inadequate, you feel beside yourself, you feel inadequate, you feel unprepared. And then to have somebody come alongside you, another experienced mum, who said, this is normal, this is okay. They speak truth into your life. They show you how to do things. It helps. That's what God wants to use you for into all of your life situations and experiences. God wants to use you to spread the influence of his love into people's lives. So he wants you to share. He wants you to speak. And finally, to flip it, God wants you to be open to the influence of others speaking truth into your life and to sharing it for you and modeling it for you. We all need models. We can all learn from just about anybody. So the question on modeling is, that's what the Apostle Paul does in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, join others in following my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave them. <clears throat> join others in following my example. It's the Apostle Paul saying to the church in the Philippi, you know what I was like, you know how I lived, follow my example and join others who are doing that. Encourage and strengthen one another in the process. And take note especially of those who live according to the pattern that we gave them. Who's doing it well? Take note. And approach those people, not just approach them and let them influence you. Find people who will be an influence in your life. Read about them in books. Search the internet for them. Listen to them on whatever, on the internet or CD or open yourself to the influence of other godly characters. Who influences you? Who do you look to? Who do you follow? We all need mentors in every area of life. We need somebody who is showing us the way because nobody knows it all. Who do you respect enough to imitate? And then, who's watching you? Who is looking to you to be a model for them? Who do you need to be a model to? So, believe what God says about you. That he shaped you with gifts, with a heart, with abilities, personality, and with all of these experiences that you've been given. What should you do with all of this? Well, very simply, you should surrender it all to him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in view of God's mercy and all that he has done for us in Christ, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here I am, Lord. Take me and use me. The gifts, my heart, my abilities, through my personality, and with whatever experiences I had, I am available for you to use. Use me. Rick Warren prays this prayer each morning, he says. Um, I think he says it's the words of a song. This is his prayer. Lord, I offer my life to you. Everything I have been through, it's all my experiences, use it for your glory. Lord, I offer my days to you. Lift my praise to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, I offer you my life. It's a good prayer. A prayer of submission, a prayer of surrender, a prayer of inviting Jesus. Lord, you shaped me, you formed me, You've got a plan and a purpose for me. You gave me the abilities I've got and the gifts I've got. You've got my, you shaped my heart. You gave me my personality. 
and you've been the one who has been overseeing and orchestrating sometimes the experiences that I have been exposed to. God has invested a lot in us. Sent Jesus to die for us. If you've responded to that offer of the Lord Jesus, then he has placed his spirit within you. He's put you in a church to use you. And he ex expects a return on the investment. You know the story of their talents? The guy was given five, and one was given two, and one was given one. And he doubled it, and he doubled it, and he buried it. And he was in a mess of trouble. So too for us. God has given us things and is expecting us to be responsible with it. To be wise stewards. So the only appropriate response is to respond by presenting ourselves wholly to him. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do just that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are the God who was at work in our world. God who has shaped us. Each one of us shaped us uniquely. You're a God who loves variety. Lord, help us to understand and to embrace the person that you desire us to be in Christ. Help us to have a worldview which sees you as in control. And Lord, because you are the master, because you have designed us and we are your special creations. Tonight we offer ourselves to you, asking that you would take us and use us and all of our weaknesses with whatever experiences, according to the truths of our personalities and hearts, that you would use us to both help others but especially to bring glory to you. Help us, Lord, to discover your will and purpose for us each and every day, to be looking to you, and like the Apostle Paul, to have that perspective that you're the God who is at work and you want to advance your kingdom purposes. So, Lord, here we are. Use us like you used Jesus. It's in his name that we pray and for his honour. Amen. Thank you.